Live from the NyxCast Anthropological Institute, this week we're talking Coca-Cola fans. Welcome to Fanthropological, the podcast where every week we talk about a different fandom. No matter how big, no matter how small, we try to get deeply into the why and the history of that fandom to give you some idea what it's all about. This week, with me as always, are my two good friends, G. The choice of a new (laughs) (laughs) And also with me is my good friend, Z. I truly do deserve this fresh vanilla coke <laughs> uh believe g you're looking for coca-cola and not a uh, refreshing oh Pepsi. boy oh boy yeah that's not a good start <laughs> that is not a good start that is okay uh, yeah. that is okay we will uh depends will on who make... you ask but uh... <laughs> i i admire the attempts it would would have been very witty if we were talking about pepsi fans oh i know well would have been on the mark I guess I'll never get to say it again then. Nope. Nope. You've used the words, so you know you can just take them. <laughs> uh, so this week I actually do not have anything prepared for the introduction. Uh, mostly because unlike some of the other topics that we've covered, Coca-Cola fans, Coca-Cola collectors, all of that kind of stuff is is a little bit more self-explanatory, I feel. A little bit. I mean, we could always throw down some... Uh history about coca-cola the gist of it is coca-cola has existed since 1886 100 years before we all were born yeah oh wow people like to drink it yeah people like to collect things with coke on it Mm-hmm. yeah we're not being glib about that either it, it's just it, it, is, it is a thing and hopefully we'll we'll dive into that mm-hmm. i think everyone should know what we're talking about coca-cola is the most recognized brand in the world and the second most recognized word in the world. Wait, what? What's the yeah. first most recognized? Okay. Ah. Oh, wow. So the first one is an affirmative and the second one is a product. <laughs> yeah, so you could Wait. go anywhere in the world and say Coca-Cola? Okay. Which uh, which leads me to a bit of trivia, actually. Oh, oh cool. Because, uh, you know, if you're only the second most recognized phrase in the world... You got you to go for the king, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is why in the 90s, uh, Coca-Cola released OK Soda. <laughs> uh, okay, so this is from a site called thefw.com in a little article called Weird Coke Flavors. Uh, back in 1993, Coke attempted to connect with disaffected members of Generation X through, this, through a soda that was just as snarky and over it as they were. With a trendy <laughs> can designed by graphic novelist Charles Burns and Daniel Klaus, a pithy catchphrase, things are going to be okay, and a vaguely oh. citrusy taste, okay soda was unleashed mm. on a few markets around the country. Soda even came with a manifesto with phrases like, what's the point of okay? Well, what's the point of anything printed on the can? <laughs> Unsurprisingly, <laughs> a soda featuring sad-looking Gen Xers staring you down while you guzzle failed to connect with the public. Coke, Coke discontinued the beverage. It has achieved something of a cult following on the web. Boy, oh boy. I, I was really hoping that the slogan was, it's just okay. <laughs> oh, that would have been such a good, maybe that could have turned it around. I mean, maybe. it's in the same same vein. It is. Oh, it even says on the can, it has a picture. It says, I carbonated, and then in quotes, beverage. <laughs> that sounds Whatever. about right. This thing, is, this thing is, is, I think, a little snarky even for me. <laughs> wow. Did... Did either of you, in your research, come across this? I actually have a way to tie Coca-Cola back to Twilight. Ooh. Oh, really? That's right. So, apparently, and I would not have expected this, uh, a VP of Strategy and E-Commerce, Monica McGurk, at Coca-Cola North America, is, one, a young adult author, which I will get mm-hmm. to in a moment, but two, wrote an alternate ending to the Twilight series before Breaking Dawn was released. Oh, oh. Her novel-length take on the Twilight finale titled Morningstar was a hit with fans and even won the 2013 Twific Fandom Undiscovered Gem Award. 
So in a so that's like about Coca-Cola. Just happens to be somebody with Coca-Cola, but I thought it was interesting. Second bit about her being a YA author. She released a book, Dark Hope. Uh, it was released in August. I think this article is written in 2015, so mm-hmm. last year. And uh, she is almost done with a follow-up. She plans to complete a trilogy with the third installment. If I'm not mistaken, uh, one of the big motivators for this book was um, is actually has a really good cause. And some of the proceeds were going to a not-for-profit around uh, stopping, I think it's sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway, so that's really cool. That was from an article called uh, Hashtag Out of Office Coke Executive Moonlights as Young Adult Novelist. Hmm. That's kind of cool. I know, right? Yeah. So I found something else interesting, which ties into Phanthropological. Oh, I'm all ears. This is tying in all sorts of different weird ways. Oh, yeah? Um, As part of MTV's Fandom Awards, Coca-Cola sponsored the Ship of the Year Award. And they ran a campaign that was... Yeah, like shipping. Like, as in the press, you know, like taking two characters from a show and... Putting them in a relationship, yeah, whether or not they're actually in that. Um, They ran a campaign which was designed specifically for Tumblr engagement. And, uh, sorry, the article goes on to explain what shipping is, um, which got more than 28 million votes. And I actually have the nominees for the award from 2015. I would like to Uh, vote. You would like to vote? (laughs) Give me me the nominees. Okay. Uh, Okay, all right. Sure. Um, this was from 2015. I don't know if that uh, affects your your shipping votes. Um, so the can- the nominees were Klexa from The 100, Clark and Lexa. Olicity okay. from Arrow, Felicity and Oliver. Carmi from Faking It, that is Karma and Amy. Emerson mm-hmm. from Pretty Little Liars, Emily and Allison. Skiles from Teen Wolf, Scott and Styles, And Bayman from... From the Vampire Diaries, Bonnie and Damon. I'd like to vote for all of them except for Felicity and Oliver. <laughs> what? <laughs> they're so good together. Well, I guess that means we will be deadlocked in a tie because that is exactly <laughs> what I'm voting for. Couldn't, couldn't I vote for either of those and break the tie? Sure. I said, Z, I said Z and I will vote. Oh, yeah. Z and Y. Ah, well, <laughs> now we're doomed. <laughs> I, I expected to be more familiar with what was being voted on. That's my Same. bad. But like things that I, I discovered as a result of that one, MTV has fandom awards, which apparently I should be tuning into whether or not I think they're any good. We should be all over <laughs> that. I know. Right. And yeah. two, uh, Coca-Cola sponsored ship of the year, which has it's like what Coca-Cola is all over the place on this guys. They're in a good service. You know what's up. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, at your MTV Phantom Awards party, mm-hmm. which I assume you have, everybody gets dressed up yep. and uh, goes over to someone's house, has a, has a cocktail party. Uh, you're going to want by your side the Coca-Cola cookbook. Oh, I think I heard. No, I, that was a different cookbook. Go on. So just grab yourself a case or three. Okay. Coca-Cola. <laughs> yeah. And for to whip up uh, some of the following items. Coca-Cola chicken wings. Okay. Uh, Coca-Cola marinated steak. Okay. Cherry cola cupcakes, which actually sounds pretty good. Oh, that would be mm. so good. Goat cheese and bacon salad with Coca-Cola vinaigrette. <laughs> okay. All right. And the mysterious luxury baked beans. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> I mean, ignoring the meat side of those things, I would probably eat all of those. Because, I mean... The Coca-Cola fills the role of both sugar and like leavening agent. Yeah. I've had I've had root beer pulled pork. Ooh. Which was really good. I mean, mm-hmm. you can you can use pop, I guess. Oh yeah. But uh, like this is not an old product either. No. This it's is like very this is fairly new. Ah. Well, that probably is is like with the trend of making like interesting foods like i saw one for mountain dew and and uh doritos chicken (laughs) Mm. uh it also has a bunch of like ads like old ads in it and stuff of course that's kind of neat my trivia takes on a little bit more of an international flavor okay in that uh, outside of the u.s or north america 
the six biggest places for Coca-Cola collecting are Belgium, Germany, France, Italy, Japan, and Spain. Hmm. Got a little bit of, uh, what was it, the other week where there's a very America versus the world, very people in love with America thing going on. Yeah, definitely people in love with America. I wouldn't say necessarily... Yeah, not versus the world. Yeah, it depends on who you ask. Maybe it's America versus the world through Coke, right? But uh, I think I mean America is not is not aware of it. (laughs) If it's it's America versus the world, America's not in on it. No, there there's a lot of the world that loves America because of Coke, or or loves it via Coke. Or yeah, yeah, because what could be a more American drink, actually? than uh, something that GIs in World War II were able to bring with them because they were shipped out with uh, 64 portable bottling plants. So they enjoy a little taste of home over there while they were uh, showing Fritz what for. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I have have another interesting but potentially weird tidbit of Coca-Cola trivia. Even better. All right. So there was this, this there's this article, Coca-Cola, a meta symbol. And it's an interesting article, mostly cites some works from an anthropologist. Towards the end of the article, cites something from The Economist, talking about Coca-Cola distribution around the world and um, consumption per capita. Mostly, like the areas that have the highest consumption are in North America, not surprisingly, or in the Americas in general. But Mexico and Central America also have a very high Coca-Cola consumption per capita. And Mm. they were trying to figure out, you know, why is this? Uh, Apparently, in Chiapas, Mexico, Coca-Cola is not simply a carbonated black drink, but also has a political role that intersects with religion Mm. and local belief systems. Pox is considered to be a sacred drink in local religious belief that blends Catholicism and Native traditions. The local elites, who have political and economic influence have convinced the communities that pox needs to be consumed along with Coke or Pepsi as it induces burping, which releases evil from the soul. Due to to this, sales of Coca-Cola have skyrocketed, and those who benefit the most are the local elites who have affiliated with cola producers. Hmm. But just like interesting little intersection there. I think I read that like Mexico is the highest consumer of Coke or something like that. Really? And it's probably for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't just go with good with food, I guess. It also uh, goes good with cleansing the soul. Well, so it, it's that pox, whatever that mm-hmm. black drink is. But it's just interesting sure. that it's like, well, we'll take this belief that we have and, and combine it, it with, with a, yeah, with a smooth Coke. Yeah. So it's the most winning combination since somebody said that you had, you had to get popcorn when you go to the movies. <laughs> uh, don't bring up popcorn. <laughs> uh, now I want popcorn. Yeah. Well, uh, I believe that you that that is in your power to get it by hook or by crook, yeah, but not right fair. now because we're doing a podcast. Oh, that's mm-hmm. fair. <laughs> if um, I wanna, if I wanna really tie some really obscene, whatever. Go ahead. <laughs> I just kind of want. I don't know. Get to it. Get a little dialogue here. Because. Uh, Canada oftentimes feels like neither one thing nor the other in terms of America versus the world. Like to Mm -hmm. America, it's like kind of European. And to (laughs) Europe, it's kind of American. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. Did you guys, when we were growing up, identify Coke with America? I don't know if I identified Coke with America, but because I was constantly told that uh, people in Quebec preferred Pepsi because it was sweeter Mm -hmm. than Coke. I always associated Pepsi with with Quebec and like with a taste for sweet things, and maybe that's why I yeah. I am a I'm a Pepsi guy myself. I I never knew that about Quebec. That's interesting. Apparently, that's yeah. what I was told a lot, <laughs> <laughs> a lot continuously, continuously, just broadcast all the time on the radio stations that I was tuned into. <laughs> Here's a Pepsi update. <laughs> <laughs> Quebec still in love with Pepsi. <laughs> uh, I I hadn't really thought about it. I mean, I I just thought of them both as cola. I was not really a big cola person, so no. I am not a big cola po- person. Mm. 
So I never really associated either with America. I just thought of them as beverages. Yeah. Mm. I'm trying to think of like the commercials that Pepsi and Coca-Cola have had over the years. And I can't think of too many that are, say, overtly American. The ones that I can think of occasionally had this like Americana sense. Not Pepsi so much. That was always like, we're the new generation. Yeah. <laughs> Pepsi was more like young people, regardless of nationality. Ooh, yeah. sorry. I think of Coca-Cola, I think of polar bears. <laughs> hey, there you go. Which and seems that, actually... And that's Canada, actually, baby. Yeah, that's actually yeah. Canadian when I think about yeah. it. The colors are also the same as theirs. Yeah, that's true. Um, I don't know. I drink, I drink... I did and do drink a fair amount of Coke. Um, I never really... I really thought of it as America that much. I'm just like, eh, like, like I never thought Coke was like, oh, this is for America, and I can also have it. It's just like, <laughs> you know, ubiquitous. Yeah. So, you were talking about Coke, and it's like, is it American? I'm not sure. We think of Santa Claus, and we think of more American kind of ideals, right? Mm-hmm. So sure. there's this. There's this idea that Santa Claus, the um, idea of Santa Claus, like the mythology, uh, the depiction of Santa Claus, mm-hmm. is this thing that Coca-Cola, not invented, but they were the people that drew the Santa Claus that we think of as Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, we were actually having dinner today, and somebody brought up that, you know, Coke, Coke did that. You should bring that up in your episode. And I was like, I don't know if that's true. I feel like that, that may not be true. So we went to the universal debunking all myths on the internet, <laughs> Snopes.com. Ah. And uh, as it turns out, no, Coke did not actually invent the modern image of Santa Claus. Well, it the looked... night before Christmas kind of did. Yeah, but um, I don't... Well, actually, since we're going to do the same thing we do on every other podcast, which is do research on the air... <laughs> Um, I don't know when that book came out, but I do know that apparently... it was 1891. Oh, wow. Okay, well... That... Go ahead. Yeah, you know, I'll just... <laughs> Illustrations of lavishly bearded Santas and his predecessors showing figures clothed in red suits and red hats with white fur trimming held together with broad black belts were common long before Coca-Cola's first Santa Claus advertisements appeared in 1931. And then it cites some examples from 1906, 1908, and 1925. Okay. But if 1891 or whenever that book came... Apparently... 1823. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, the poem was first published anonymously in 1823. Wow. Um, So I guess Coca-Cola latched onto that, or people did. I'm not sure what. Yeah. Well, I mean, in the original publishing, it was probably just in a, a journal or periodical or something with no pictures accompanying it but when it even then it was uh apparently probably reprinted in 1837 when the author actually claimed authorship clement clark moore so uh, um and yeah. i was about to say it's, it's actually a british but it's not it is american oh clement yeah. clark moore is american yep hmm. i guess his eyes are blue so that's where the the blue comes in there but uh more on that in our next episode yeah. So we all have heard tell of the, you know, the story of New Coke. Yeah. And I don't know if anyone else realizes this. I certainly didn't realize it. I didn't New Coke was an attempt to make Coke taste more like Pepsi. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. Because like surveys uh, were done and people seem to prefer the taste of the sweeter taste uh-huh. of Pepsi. Like, oh man, we got to get some of that Pepsi stuff. And Coca-Cola fans were just entirely put off <laughs> because we drink we drink Coke because we want Coke, not Pepsi. Yeah, yeah. They're just like you basically just eliminated the choice, and it's the choice of a new generation. New generation apparently. <laughs> It wasn't the choice of a new generation for very long because I believe they changed it back when Coca-Cola Classic came out. Oh, hmm. Hence Classic. Yeah, which was on the cans for a while. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I remember being on the cans. Mm-hmm. I found that interesting 
um, I find it interesting that you mentioned that because I did come across that in one of the articles that I had read. But also, a lot of my research led me into talk about branding and things like branding and marketing and, you know, not things that I particularly like talking about on the podcast. But I mean, they're intrinsically linked in this case as as Coca-Cola's is a product more than um, more than any sort of comic book or movie or anything like that. Yeah, those are those are creative works. Coca-Cola is a product. It is a consumable product. Yeah, it's a makes, no, makes no bones about being a product. No. no. Um, uh, one of the articles I read called The Pitfalls of Relying on Brand Fandom, Part 1, gives a pretty good definition of of um, that kind of relationship. And it says that a brand fandom is more than just a group of loyal customers. They are people who are emotionally invested in a particular mm-hmm. brand and are known to be particularly devoted. And when you mentioned that, I thought about that in that article and some of the other things that I read, which was this idea that we don't talk about, that that a fandom is full of super fans. They're not like brand fandom is about customers, but fandoms are about super fans, people who are just particularly in love with whatever it is that you're creating. Mm. And so when you change that and the article does talk about this, it's kind of like betraying the trust, betraying the authenticity that you have as a thing, as a maker of a product. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's a good point about super fans because if you you know staked out at the convenience store and <laughs> and and rushed over with a camera microphone to every person who bought a Coke, <laughs> they'd be like, "Ah, oh, do you really love Coke?" And they're like, "It's fine, I guess. <laughs> I, I prefer Coke, I guess." You want people whose whose houses and garages are filled with memorabilia? Yeah, who, you know <laughs> who when when at a restaurant they say. Is Pepsi okay? <laughs> um, <laughs> to which one response in a, in a Reddit thread uh, yep. about that situation yeah. uh, was, did you just ask me if Pepsi is okay? Is Monopoly money okay to pay for this meal with? <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was a beautiful answer. So I was going to ask oh, this to, to the two of you because I'm getting the impression that the two of you focused a bit more on on collecting i i ended up getting down uh mired down in the the uh rabbit hole of branding stuff but one of the things that i remember reading about even in those articles was about this emotional connection Mm -hmm. um, that collectors tend to have with their object of collection in the few articles that i read about different coca-cola fans even the collectors the articles didn't really give across this idea of an emotional connection and maybe it wasn't explicit maybe it was deliberately obscured um but it it wasn't really there one article i read talked about a fan and their story of how they got started on collecting things they were at a gas station and there was a promotion going on they got a free t-shirt and they thought it was cool so they looked up some more stuff on the internet there was another another article about somebody going between i'm bad with geography austria and germany okay they were on a train or on a plane and they were sipping on a Coke and <laughs> they realized, Hey, I could be collecting cans from all around the world. So they started doing that. Yeah. But in neither of those stories, even though these were items of their devotion, items that they were devoted to collecting, I didn't get that sense of the connection. Did, did either of you dig into that a bit more? I don't, it's hard to say. Cause sometimes people, you know, will have a great love for a thing, but, it's like understated. don't 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 overtly express it. They'll be okay. like, "Yeah, I like Coca Cola. I have that. Like, I'm reading one article here: twenty thousand to thirty thousand items of Coca Cola memorabilia." Yeah, he's like, "Yeah, I, I really like <laughs> it. It's a fun hobby." Yeah, but like, but like- clearly, there's something. There's a strong <laughs> attachment there, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's what I was hoping you guys got into. I decided to, like, briefly look up on Wikipedia, you know, why do people collect? And it gave me a really nice, um, gave me a really nice little description. And that it's that emotional connection that allows people to relive their childhood, connect to a period in history, um, mm-hmm. uh, helps them ease them about insecurity and anxiety about losing parts of themselves to keep the mm-hmm. past present. Um, for the thrill of the hunt, 
like a quest, a lifelong pursuit that can never be complete. Lots of different reasons. But those reasons didn't come across in the stories that I was reading. Well, and I mean, this... No, go oh, for go it. Ahead. You're finishing. Um, oh, I was just going to say, and in the, like, but that's the, the part that makes things so human. That's the thing that makes it a, a fandom, you know? Like, if you have collected every single version of, I don't know, Star Trek, or what's it? Star Wars. Let's go with Star Wars. If you've collected every single release of Star Wars, Mm -hmm. like that is not something that uh, a non-fan does. You might say, oh, I kind of like Star Wars, much in the way that you kind of like Coke. But how can you collect 50,000 items (laughs) and just be like, yeah, I kind of like this. There's got to be something that connects you to that. There are fans that buy and sell things for profit. And the Wikipedia Mm -hmm. article on the psychology of collecting specifically says people don't collect these things for the sale of them. Yeah, if you're collecting fifty thousand items, what is the thing in the that case, you're connected to? In the case of the uh, person who said that it's it's a fun hobby, um, mm. I'm pretty sure we're talking about the same guy here. I think we uh, probably are. Wayne Butcher. That's right. Excellent, excellent. I think in his case, he kind of just brushes it off as this fun hobby because it's something he's built up over such a long period of time. Because he was a long haul trucker, and he would just like. Um, apparently he would drink 24 Cokes a day. So there's that. Oh, wow. Um, but at the same time, he, well, he was out on the road, he would stop off at uh, yard sales and flea markets and just, you know, see what he could pick up. But then his mom was also a collector. Ah, so there's that sort of family connection. Okay. I mean, in the story that you just described, I've already got a much better picture because in Mm -hmm. that person's case, they have a love of the product. They have memories of you know going out and finding these new things they have yeah. a, a parent that does it in the stories that i read there was <laughs> none of that it was just like oh, yeah this seemed like a cool thing and i'm like yeah. why did you do this the funny the funny thing about wayne butcher too is that he didn't really start to seriously collect until the 1980s when his son was starting to collect pepsi memorabilia <laughs> oh and he I thought assume oh, he you know, kicked this, him out. this could be a fun <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know didn't go into that so who knows but uh in terms of like a way more personal story uh the there's one coca-cola collector who actually wrote a book all about the bottles like the history of the bottles the different kinds of bottles so just a history of coca-cola bottling and bottles basically uh named doug mccoy and his story started when he was just a little kid like five or six um playing down by down by the creek whatever and he saw this bottle uh submerged in the creek and caught in a sandbar and it was unlike any other bottle he'd ever seen because it was a size he had never seen before so he you know he wanted to get he wanted to get at it but he couldn't quite get to it so he called his dad and his dad was cool with helping him pull it out so he pulled it out saw that it was this strange bottle he'd never seen before so he asked his uh, his grandfather who was a bit of a collector himself about it and then you know that's what sparked his interest in collecting coca-cola stuff because his grandpa was able to tell him all these different things about the bottles and i, I imagine a bit of a history about the bottling and uh, when they made the switch from just random bottles to a more standardized shape and all that sort of stuff which for whatever reason sparked a lot of interest in a, in a young doug mccoy Hmm. Yeah. It's like it's like those little weird moments because like that like when you're a kid you see you see something at a weird angle and it catches you or you know. Yeah. You see, you know, other people in your family doing it and so on. Because Coke has been around for so long and is still around. Mm-hmm. It's from the beginning of like the age of advertising basically. Yeah. I was actually going to ask, is it older than America? No, no, but not by much, right? Yeah, it's 110 years younger than America. Okay. Yeah, I forgot how old America is. America's (laughs) America's getting up there. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah, it's like there's there's been Coke almost as long as there's been advertising. Yeah. Um. So you have an American history in Coke ads. Yeah. 
Um, That's true. There probably um, were ads about Coca-Cola in the different world wars and other different wars. Not like in the wars, but for the wars. It's like support America, buy a Coke or something. Let me tell you about this that I found. Okay. Collectorsweekly.com slash Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. in a section that's called show and tell which is just people just showing mm-hmm. all the cool coca-cola stuff that they found okay. and like writing how they found it there is uh, we'll put a link to this in the show notes a little medallion on yeah. one side that says drink coca-cola in bottles five cents okay. and on the other side has a swastika mm. uh... which according to the comments I, I assume I, I give these people about like some credit because I seem to know what they're talking about. Okay. Uh, it dates from 1915. Oh wow! So the theory is that it's it's drawing on the swastika as a good fortune symbol. Yeah. That it was. Yeah. That was like a really cool thing. Very wow. a very interesting artifact. Yeah, I think I actually I think that accounts for a lot of the uh the dura- well the enduring quality of uh coca-cola as a collectible because the guy who's in charge of the official historian if you will of coca-cola uh, phil mooney pointed mm-hmm. out that a lot of the things that were made early on were made to be practical um advertisements were put on things like serving trays or were splashed across like refrigerators or coolers or things like thermometers. Um, he he even mentioned how there were some some strange Coca Cola items like hatchets and fly swatters. <laughs> what interesting! <laughs> so I think it at one point in time, Coca Cola was just like, "Hey, uh, if people are going to be seeing this and using this in their everyday lives, how can we put Coca Cola on it?" And that's mm-hmm. what really dug it into the collective unconscious of America. As this as this symbol of simpler times. I mean, I've seen a lot of the like, a lot of restaurants will have like the mirrors, yeah, of old Coca Cola ads, lamps, yeah. things yeah. like that. It's just it's ubiquitous. Yeah, and, it, and it's always, yeah, the the imagery. You know, it's usually it's usually some people, whatever mm-hmm. the ad is, and you see them dressed in in then period appropriate clothes <laughs> or like then then current clothes. And you're like Coke. I'm I'm drinking Coke right now, and those people all back then were promoting Coke then. So yeah. it feels like a, it feels like a through line through American history. Well, yeah. speaking of a, a through line to American history, this article is from a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. but um, it's called "Coke Captures Cola Fandom and Its First Ever Uses of User Generated Ad," and mm-hmm. it, the like the article isn't too much to read. It mostly talks about a couple different companies and their efforts into making ads from user-generated content. By taking that through line of American history um, all the way to the present, it is a a 30-second spot, like a TV ad, where it is completely made up of content that Coca-Cola fans have made. There's, like, people dressed up in Coke cans dancing around. There's people who have done, like, little animations. Um, But it's 30 seconds of completely provided by people who love Coke, like fans super fans of coke who have mm-hmm. done that and it's gotten to the point i guess where you were talking about it being very practical about people um everything wherever you could put ads up put ads yeah. about coke on it yeah. to the present where the people themselves represent the product like you don't even need to advertise mm-hmm. no because people do that for you yeah. And I don't mean like advertisers. I mean like <laughs> just the people who consume your product advertise it for you. Yeah. yeah. Which is crazy. But somehow also also kind of kind of plays into uh into Coke's hands cuz um I got into a little bit of the history of the whole process, the sort of the business side of things. And initially um how it worked was that Coca-Cola would Coca-Cola Central, I guess would license out the the name and the recipe to independent bottlers just wherever across the states eventually across the world but then as time went on coca-cola actually sort of created a, a shell company that bought 
back a lot of those bottling companies, a lot of those bottling huh. plants, so that Coca-Cola Central has a share in all of the bottling plants now, which means that they're not quite as free to, uh, you know, print all sorts of wild ads or anything. Everything's streamlined. Everything's standardized according to Coca-Cola Central. So there aren't very many physical ads being made anymore, which means that people who already like Coca-Cola, who are super fans of it because of all this, all this old advertisement that, you know, perpetuates it as the drink of youth and the drink of America and the drink of innocence, perhaps, um, Mm -hmm. are just willing to go out there and say, hey, hey, uh, everybody around me, let's make a 30, well, however long video and send it into this Coke advertisement contest. I, I don't even know if that was a contest. I think people might have just done it. <laughs> yeah. So they won. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Coca-Cola's for winners. I'm pretty sure it had to be a contest. Let me ask you this, guys. Mm-hmm. How was there a 7-Up game, but not a Coke game? Ooh. Is that true? Did everyone play yeah. Cool Spot? I did. Bet I did. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, hold on. There's also a Pepsi game. I remember this. Pepsi Man. Pepsi Man. What? I never <laughs> played that. Uh, you don't want oh, to. Oh boy, it's it's a weird third person infinite <laughs> runner kind of game. Is Cool Spot better? Yes. Okay. Actually, yeah, it's like an infinite runner before that became a thing. Yeah. And. Pepsi man. Oh man. <laughs> hold hold your horses. <laughs> is that is that illustrated by who I think it is? If not, it looks very reminiscent of. Apparently, you might be wrong about that. Oh. Uh-oh. There was a game, Coca-Cola Kid, is a Japan exclusive Sega Game Gear oh. side-scrolling action video game released in 1994. The game stars the Coca-Cola Kid, Coca-Cola's Japanese mascot of the 1990s. Okay, I gotta see this guy now. Interesting. The The box art looks eerily reminiscent of uh, Akira Toriyama's work. Uh, apparently there's also a movie. Ah, of Coca-Cola Kid? Starring Eric Roberts. Ah. <sighs> oh, snap. None other than the master from that great Doctor Who movie. Ugh. <laughs> It's also a dramedy. Looks like an Australian film. Ooh. So, it exists. Oh, you can get a Coca-Cola branded Game Gear. <laughs> oh, that's kind of neat. <laughs> like, with, with the game, I guess. That makes sense. Man, oh, man. Yeah. When I, I tried not to dig... Like, the interesting thing about doing a, the fandom of Coca-Cola fans, because it's hard to get into the why, because it's a very personal story. And, like, as we've talked about, yeah. it has a little bit to do with America... Um, American history and a little bit about personal experiences. Um, I, f- I find it found it really hard not to get into consumerism. So to avoid that, I'm going to read something that I found from an article on Coca-Cola as a symbol. Because when I was reading through this, I saw it as like more of a great equalizer than anything else. So th- this article from, uh, what was it again? Coca-Cola, a meta symbol, starts with this opening paragraph, which I thought was really impactful, which is, What's great about this country is that America started the tradition where the richest consumers buy essentially the same things as the poorest. You can be watching TV and see Coca-Cola, and you know that the president drinks Coke, Liz Taylor drinks Coke, and just think, you can drink Coke too. A Coke is a Coke, and no amount of money can get you a better Coke than the one the bum on the corner is drinking. All the Cokes are the same, and all the Cokes are good. Liz Taylor knows it, the president knows it, the bum (laughs) knows it, and you know it. Whoa. Um, this person then goes on to like in the article, which is not a long read. It's short. Um, talks a lot about, um, this anthropologist, Danny Miller, who wrote a, uh, something called Coca-Cola, a black sweet drink from Trinidad. Um, the author of the article talks about their experience, uh, um, which I presume as, uh, as a Pakistani, Pakistani, I'm not good with this anyway. Um, a person from Pakistan. Yeah. Uh, and so this is what they had to say from the article and from this, this other anthropologist, the person writes Miller, the person who wrote that article goes on to equate Coca-Cola with commodities or capitalism, which is a valid point. 
However, growing up in Pakistan, I never saw Coca-Cola as being an American product. It had adopted a local meaning, a local context that appealed to the naive consumer that I was many years ago. It was, and still is, readily served by the cratefuls at weddings, favored by many to open their fasts during Ramadan, during which prices are slashed. Well, local drinks such as Lassie's, Nimbo Penny, which is lemonade, are popular and served in homes, they don't have the same sort of mass appeal that carbonated drinks such as Pepsi, Coca-Cola, Sprite, etc. have in a country where alcohol is not publicly sold or consumed. Mm. Um, from the what I can infer from the original um, article about um, a black sweet drink from Trinidad as well, is that people in Trinidad see like rum and Coke as being a, a Trinidad thing not as an american thing and the entire article is talking about how every different country has this different perception of coke whether it's like the branding or or whatever it is people fill the meaning of what coke is with whatever they want it just exists as something to project an image into and that's why it'll advertise all sorts of things from sporting events the olympics um I found that uh, Coke is trying to get into esports, and that <laughs> that got a whole interesting thing for me. Wondering if Coca-Cola collectors will collect some of these uh, League of Legends Coke branded cups. Wondering if that is part mm. of that collecting thing, or if that's a weird other thing, and like creating the divide dividing lines in where the collecting is good and bad. Yeah. Apparently. Some of those dividing lines might al- already be in place. Oh. Yeah. Do tell. Because, well, you know, in the 70s, in the 80s, and late 60s, it was pretty easy, although a little bit expensive, to collect older stuff from 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever. Um, but now, because there's a market for it, because there's demand for this vintage Coca-Cola merchandise, um, it's pretty expensive. So it can be hard to get a start if you want to, say buy a coca-cola branded fridge as your first piece of memorabilia so instead it's a lot easier to buy commemorative bottles or cans or you know something smaller and because of that um, according to phil mooney coke's historian um, there's actually kind of two camps that have uh, evolved out of the collecting fandom one camp has sort of the oldsters in it who have been collecting for a few decades who you know, they have the jukeboxes, they have the coolers, they have the uh, the train sets, the, the Christmas decorations, all this crazy stuff. And then the newcomers, generally younger people, who have a bunch of bottles or a bunch of cans or maybe a bunch of pencils or uh, that sort of thing, cheap stuff. And from his observations, it sounds like the older collectors don't really like hanging around with the younger ones. It's he didn't outright say that you know they the older fan the older the older collectors think the younger collectors are fake coke fans or anything like that but it seems like there's this this divide between you know what you're collecting young people is too easy to get and therefore not as valuable as this which i had to buy and then restore to its pristine condition yeah. kind of thing sounds and, uh sounds like an interesting topic for uh, I don't know, topics in fandom, elitism in fandom. You gotta, mm-hmm. you gotta start somewhere, man. Yeah. Also, yeah. also, I couldn't get to this right when you mentioned it, T, but this is a good good follow-up. Okay. Do you know the other name for Rum and Coke? Uh, no. Is that a Cub- Cubana, Cuba Libre? Is it a Cuba Libre. Hmm. Doesn't Does a Cuba a, Libre have a splash of lime? It's basically a Rum and Coke. Okay. <laughs> uh, but allegedly invented in Havana. Uh, around hmm. 1900. Oh, wow. There, the good. Wikipedia article has a couple of conflicting uh, stories as to its actual origin, but yeah, that is the, that is the alternate name for it. So Cuba also has uh, a different ownership, ownership of the rum and coke. <laughs> I feel like there's another drink which is almost the exact same as a Cuba Libre, but has like a different ingredient added. Hmm. Cocktails are weird, guys. <laughs> like about a Moscow mule? <laughs> no, definitely oh not. Okay. <laughs> man, oh man. 
That's interesting, though, the, that there does exist a divide and that elitism, because a lot of the other fandoms that we've talked about, while I'm sure the elitism exists, mm-hmm. it seems like the fandoms are, in general, working towards not being elitist, working towards being more of a collective. With steampunk fans, yeah. we specifically talked about people eschewing the Victorian idea of, of classism and and colonialism and, and other things of that era. And yep. uh, I forget which fandom it was, possibly Sailor Moon, where we talked about... No, that was more about feminism. There was another one we talked about that specifically its goal is to unite people, and I'm not thinking of Esperanto, I think, but it might have been Esperanto. Mm-hmm. Certainly one of the goals of Esperanto. Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. interesting that you have this divide in, in Coca-Cola fans. I'm sure people who enjoy coke as a product you know universal there's no elitism there it's interesting that you when you get into that collecting though that that divide exists yeah because i'm it like who, of... who cares i like who cares yeah. that she has the one riker instead of that other Riker <laughs> that's like worth a million dollars or whatever <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where either of the records are now yeah <laughs> i have no i have no records <laughs> I think uh, I, I think part of that push to uh, elitism might come from uh, another thing Phil Mooney pointed out that the great thing about collecting Coca-Cola collectibles is that you can just find your niche because it's impossible to collect everything. But you find your niche and you become a specialist in that niche ooh. and you become an expert in that niche. And I kind of wonder if the sense, you know, between the old fans and, and the I guess, newer fans is that Older fans, they have that expertise, you know? It's like, oh, these young people, they don't know anything about Coca-Cola collecting. But these young people are eager to learn, you know? They just have to prove themselves. And become experts in Coke bottles and Coke cans. That is loaded with so much things that I am not prepared to talk about. (laughs) So much things. So much things. No, I doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's also an element of exclusivity just kind of built in because... Phil Mooney admitted, at least back in 2009, that some private collections have things that they don't even have in the official archive. Are they counterfeit? (laughs) No, but funny you should mention that, because in the 70s, a lot of companies uh, got wise to the whole Coke craze, and they started to buy licenses from Coke to uh, create fabricated vintage stuff. Hmm. And so that's thrown into the market and it confuses people on eBay. So there's there's a lot of nuance to this collecting biz. Interesting. Yeah. But then again, you get that call back to, uh, to expertise because an expert in whatever item is in question will be able to know that, you know, that's not really a left-handed Coke pencil because the lead is the wrong color or something like that. Or the graphics aren't reversed like they should be. Man. Are you guys ready for our fan of the week? Yes, I am ready for fan of the week. Mm-hmm. Okay. Z? Yes? Here the bleep button. <clears throat> you are not the bleep button. Oh. <laughs> I've got a, my finger on a, a button. That's a love letter to future Z. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't know. Maybe I'll just copy paste that throat clearing anyway. So this comes from our Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. It is entitled a public rant, colon, Diet Coke with Lime. Okay. Submitted seven months ago by a user whose account has been deleted. <laughs> Boy, silencing the truth. I submit this as exhibit A. Or F, or M, would be passion for fans of Coca-Cola. Okay. Okay. Yep. Dear Coca-Cola company executives, I know it's tough being in the diet soda business. You're in an industry built on sugar, and you have a public screaming for a zero-calorie drink with that same regular soda taste. You build entire product lines around substitutes that, whoops, turn out to cause cancer. Practically everything you try to make tastes like something you'd wash a floor with. No matter how much your buyers like your product, they secretly suspect they're drinking chemicals. I sympathize. 
So if a company came along and developed a product that did taste like regular soda while still having zero calories, a product that many of your consumers actually preferred to the regular version, you'd ballyhoo the hell out of that product, wouldn't you? You'd shout it from the rafters. You'd make sure it was available anywhere, anytime, in any format, right? Right? Actually, no, you wouldn't. Specifically, you wouldn't. Because you don't. See, the perfect diet soda already exists. It's called Diet Coke with Lime. And you make it! I know you've never heard of it, but trust me, it's in your product line. The Coke part kind of gives it away. I'm guessing it was developed by some mad genius deep within the bowels of your headquarters and you forgot to tell the marketing and distribution departments about it because clearly three quarters of your company has been left in the dark on this one. If I were you, I'd call a meeting to discuss it. At that meeting, maybe you could also discuss all the ways you're utterly failing to capitalize on the greatest diet soda ever made. Here's a quick list. One, you don't sell it anywhere. Go into a random convenience store and look for it and you won't find it. You'll have rows and rows of regular Diet Coke. And honestly, why the f*** <coughs> do you need that many rows of something you can barely choke down? And maybe one or two caffeine-free Diet Cokes, which, to colorblind people, looks a lot like Diet Coke with lime from a distance. I would appreciate it if you'd sell this in a blank can, which would symbolically convey the fact that there's no <coughs> reason to drink a soda with no taste and no caffeine. Seriously, do you even have a market research department? You can't get it in the Atlanta airport your own <coughs> flagship city if i'm traveling in a strange city i have to hit an average of 10 stores before i find it sometimes entire states even entire countries don't seem to have it i spent a month in trinidad and tobago this year and there was none to be found anywhere this is particularly notable given that lime is trinidad's national word it's both a noun <laughs> and a verb meaning to hang out with friends slash drink slash party have a little diet cook with your lime when you go liming make sure you bring the lime for christ's sake the advertising copyrights itself <laughs> Number two, you don't sell it in multi-packs. Multi don't tell me about cans. Cans are for slack-jawed soda-drinking amateurs who don't care about retaining carbonation. You don't sell it in multi-pack bottles, which means I have to buy six to eight individual ones a day. That's costing me almost $4,000 per year. Whereas if I lost my sense of taste, I could buy multi-packs for regular Diet Coke and subsist on the same volume for around $1,800 per year. Number three, you don't restock it. This happens all the <coughs> time. I fly into some random city like Denver for five days of work. On my way to the hotel, I hit between six and twelve stores before I finally find one that sells Diet Coke with lime. There's one row of it in the cooler next to the 13 rows of regular Diet Coke. I bow out the entire row, maybe six bottles, and mark the location of the store so I can return in a couple of days after they've re received a new delivery. What do I find? The delivery man has been there and he's refilled the roll with regular Diet Coke. This ought to be a capital crime, specifically excluded from the Eighth Amendment prohibition against cruel and unusual punishment. For <coughs> say Coca-Cola, do you train these people? Doesn't it bother you a little that you employ an entire legion of lummoxes who faced with 13 full rows of regular Diet Coke and one empty row say to themselves, huh, I guess I need a 14th row of regular Diet Coke. As a dedicated consumer of Coca-Cola products for 34 years, let me just say, sod the lot of you. Now get out your notepads, because I'm going to give you the best idea that's come your way since Pemberton's orange and lemon elixir. I'll solve both of our problems. Ready? Make regular Diet Coke, Diet Coke with lime. You heard me. Inject that lime flavor in the normal Diet Coke and keep the label the same. Your market share will shoot up by double digits. Your customers will be able to stop talking about the great Diet Coke taste, and none will be the wiser about what you did, because let's face it, it doesn't really taste much like lime anyway. Don't like that one? Fine. Whatever. Just stop making this product so difficult to find and buy. Tell your delivery folks to actually stock it. Think about, I don't know, maybe actually advertising it now and then. If you're not going to do any of this, please do the decent thing and sell it to Pepsi. Sincerely, a dedicated fan. I need water. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm not laughing at this well person. Well played. Like, I, I sympathize. Not because I like Diet Coke. <laughs> I just mean that, like, that person is very dedicated to their, their fandom, which in this case is the product. And, I mean, I can understand... It's like, this isn't available in different countries. That's fine. There's lots of products that aren't available in, in different countries. You know, you want to get a uh, green tea Kit Kat? You're going to have to go to Japan or import mm -hmm. it or whatever. I hope that was worth it. Oh, that was definitely worth it. I think it. so. <laughs> but like, I, th I thought that Diet Coke with lime was a, a pretty common thing. So I'm like, why, why isn't that available? Maybe it's more common in Canada. Maybe. Then I don't know. Come like, up here. That point about multivax? That point about it not being available in Atlanta? Like you go to as Man. a as an example, you go to Las Vegas, there are slot machines in the airport. There are advertisements to like go to a gun range. For all I know, there could be a gun range near or in the airport. 
But you know what? If you're at the Atlanta airport, you would think that they have that on lockdown. Yeah. They got it all. Yeah. They should have every kind of Coke. They should have a small Coke museum in the mm-hmm. Atlanta airport. They should. Yeah. Where's RC Cola from? Uh, I don't know. It's like Chicago or something. Hmm. Anyway, I was just curious about that. That was uh. a really good fan of the week, <laughs> barring the expletives. <laughs> And I, I, like, they were mostly there to just, yeah. That person is really passionate. That reminds me of the uh, Bring Back Serena. Oh, yeah. We want Serena.com. Oh, yeah, we want Serena.com. <laughs> oh, that's like, that's like the anthropological jackpot. When you find something like that, somebody's passion just, just overflows itself. I want to be that passionate about something. About Fantropological. Boo. <laughs> Not to the point that I would demean myself like that. <laughs> oh, that's too bad. Uh, on a completely different topic, I have the spotlight for this week. Just yelling for five minutes. It's not going to be yelling for like five minutes. <laughs> oh, that's, it'll be a good change. All right. Oh. This week, highlighting something that we have not actually highlighted yet, going to be highlighting an artist. Ooh. There Ooh. is an artist, Daniel Oliver. Uh, I found this from a, a friend's Twitter feed. Um, you can check them out at auron.tumblr.com, A-H-R-U-O-N.tumblr.com. If you don't know how to spell that, that's fine. It'll be in the, the show notes at the bottom. And uh, what they do is they do pixel art. And what brought me to their page was this really impressive pixel art of Fiona from um, Adventure Time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, wielding a sword. Uh, and I've since gone to their Tumblr page and they have a lot of really impressive other fandom-related sprite art. So they have um, Bayonetta. I'm seeing some uh, Steven Universe in here. There's uh, They've got some de-resed graphics. They made... Z might be interested. This person mm-hmm. made a demake of Xenoblade Chronicles in, in a little Ooh, graphic. What? Oh boy. Uh, uh, they they take commissions if you're interested <laughs> in, in sketches or sprite art. But they, they have a lot of really impressive, really detailed sprite work. And uh, I thought that we'd mix it up and uh, could check it out. This week, if you want to check out something different, you can take a look at uh, can take a look at Daniel Oliver's work or on .tumblr.com. You can also check them out on Twitter, twitter.com slash auron, A-H-R-U-O-N. And uh, yeah, that's this week's spotlight. Super cool. Awesome. Super cool. Next week on Pentapological, it's not three wise men, it's three wise guys talking about Christmas. Super cool. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And you can find us online at Pentapological.com. If the website's not your bag, you can also check us out on various social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, all at The Next Cast. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you'd like to email us, perhaps let us know fandoms you'd like to see us cover or the numerous things that we missed in an episode about a fandom that you belong to. Nick at thenextcast.com is a place to send all that stuff. You can also check us out on Podbean or the Podbean app. I suggest you do. And... Uh, Until next time, remember, everyone's a fan. So this is a this is the spot in the show where we plug the next show. Yep. Christmas. Christmas time. Jingle Christmas bells, time jingle. in the city. <clears throat> next week's um, hip hip hooray for Christmas ooh, ooh, vacation. <laughs> <clears throat> next week on Phanthropological, you won't have to travel very far. Because Phantophological is the star. No, da.
<laughs> what? what happened there? Oh, 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 oh. Um, next week on Fanthropological, it's not three wise men, it's three wise guys. Talking about Christmas. Fanthropological. Huh. That, that was actually so pretty those, good. It went, went around the other side of being dumb. Merry Christmas from everybody here at Fantapological. Happy Christmas. Merry Christmas. Oh, hey, 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 listening audience. If you like Christmas so much, why don't you marry it? Merry Christmas from Fantapological next week. (laughs) What? Um,. Unfor- unfortunately, here at Fanthropological, if one of the Nicks short out, then the other two are useless. It's not going to be long before nobody will get that anymore. Yeah, that's, that's true. true. With LED bulbs. Not even bulbs, just LED wires. <clears throat> um, oh my god, all I could think of is what's big and smelly and whose belly is like a bowl full of jelly and I'm like, that's not how that goes. It's not how that goes at all. No mention is made of Santa's smell. <laughs> Maybe he smells like fresh baked cookies. Uh next week on Phantomological, up on the rooftop. Nick Nick Nick. <laughs> that was really bad. <laughs> uh, uh, hold on, I think I've got one. <laughs> Guys, we might have to cancel next week's episode. I heard that Grandma got ran over by a reindeer. No. Yep, that's right. Coming home from our house Christmas Eve. (laughs) You might say there's no such thing as Santa. But as for me and Grandpa, we believe we'll talk about it next week on Santa (laughs) Logical. Oh, man. Don't settle your brains for a... Winter's nap. Don't settle your brains for a long winter's nap just yet, listeners, because you're gonna have to throw Settle your brains. <laughs> it's, it's that settled. cannot possibly be what's in the book. <laughs> and Mama, in her kerchief and I in my calf, had just settled our brains for a long winter's nap. <laughs> I feel like I when? feel like that's not what it is. Don't settle your brains for a long winter's nap just yet, Phantropological fans, because next week you're gonna have to go. You're going to have to away to the window and fly. You're going to have to fly to the window like a flash and throw up the shutters. Wait, tear open the shutters <laughs> and throw up the sash because we're talking Christmas. Okay, it's settle. Just settle down for a long winter's nap. <laughs> settle your brain. <laughs> <laughs> no way Wikipedia can't be wrong. <laughs> next week on Phantropological wreaths ooh oh ooh. <clears throat> next week on Phantropological wreaths trees fat bearded men with big sacks of gifts. That's right. We're talking Christmas. Yeah, there's something about mistletoe in there. Hmm. No, there is. Next week on Phantropological. Um, hmm. <laughs> Things. Stop. Next week on Phantropological. Get your earbuds out under the mistletoe because you're going to kiss them while you listen to Phantropological. Which Gross. I just said. <laughs> Next week on Phantropological. Viet, viet, decoroi, the arbre de Noël. That's right. We're talking about Christmas. What? You don't remember that song from uh, elementary school French class? No. Boule Rouge. I Boule actually Rouge. think I remember Havana Nagila more than I remember. Man. <laughs> Whoa. Which is in what? Yiddish? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yiddish or Hebrew? <laughs> Next week on Phantropological, it turns out that one of us is the actual St. Nicholas. But which one? 
I like that one. Squeeze your phone charger into that very last uh, wall outlet. And uh, listen to Phantophological next week. You have a limited amount of time. <laughs> next week on Phantophological, Tinsel sucks. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fact about Tinsel that I just said. <laughs> <laughs> tinsel is terrible. Hold on, I think I've got one. Okay. <laughs> Hold on. I think I need to think this one through <laughs> Why? What day is this? Oh, it's Christmas Day. Christmas Day? I've gone too far. We've got to go back. <laughs> Where? Back Back to Phantophological. <laughs> now we queue up Huey Lewis in the news. It's going to be great. Christmas Day. <laughs> Christmas, Christmas Day. Holy, why, mate? That's right. That's Christmas Day. <laughs> you what? <laughs> it's like what day is it? It's week. Hey, what day is it? Lord. It's like what? <laughs> what? It's Christmas Day. You daft. What are you? Hey, Joe. He doesn't know what day it is. <laughs> hey, fuck off. <laughs> What day is it? Well, it's uh, Monday. Uh, skies are clear. And uh, we're about to take off on this wintry... No, I got nothing. Next week, it's beginning to look a lot like Phantropological. Uh, do we have Thank it? Thank you very much. That, uh, that good? Yeah. I feel like we struck gold early. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, then the pressure's off, right? <laughs> That's true. That's true. We can get experimental.